And let's open with a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, this morning we come humbly as a needy people. And yet, Lord, we come boldly in Christ alone to you, our Father, who can meet every single need that we have. Provident, good, gracious, and merciful. We come, Lord, and we bow down before you, recognizing that truly in Christ, by your grace, through your love, we have all that we need. We come not standing in our own strength or hoping in our own merit. We come in Christ alone, humbled, yet strengthened and bold. And Lord, we pray that in this hour, your spirit would work through your word, that you would strengthen our weak heart Encourage our struggling faith. Point out where we are weak and failing. And draw us back to yourself. Encourage us, Lord. Strengthen us. For our good and for your glory. We pray these things this morning in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Well, this year, Clinton and Judah Avery are all in school. And a couple times a, year, a week, Krista works in the mornings at Starbucks, which means that Ted and I get to spend a lot of time together. And uh, sometimes we go out for breakfast. And the other day, a couple of weeks ago, we went out for breakfast in Ankeny. And uh, then we were just trying to kill some time, and so we went to TJ Maxx. Ted loves that store. And we were just walking around and looking at something, and he wanted to go to the toy, store, the toy section, so we're back there and we're looking around. And, and as Ted's looking around, he finds this, this pack of fireman toys. It's just, it has a walkie-talkie and a little hatchet and a crowbar and a, a vest and a, uh, some kind of a badge or something. And he, he's just begging me, Dad, can I please have this? And lucky enough for him, it was on sale, so it was only like a dollar or something. So we ended up getting it, and since then we've had little pieces of firemen stuff spread all over our house. But this week I was thinking back to that. And it's kind of silly, that illustration, we kind of laugh at some of that, but for a real fireman, every single piece of that equipment is important, is it not? A fireman has to have gloves because the surfaces that they touch are hot. They're dealing with fire. They have to have a mask and oxygen because fire is not the only danger around them, but in the air is smoke and other toxins. Sometimes they're even more dangerous than the fire. They have to have a heavy suit that is fireproof because they are often in the very flames themselves. They need a helmet because in a fire, things break apart and fall. They need to protect their head. 
They have to have strong boots with good grip to protect their feet and to keep them from slipping. They need an axe and a crowbar and other tools that are able to pry open doors and, and, and things that are shut to force their way through passageways that they otherwise could not get through. They need walkie-talkies. They need to be able to communicate. And on top of all of this protective gear that they have, they operate in teams because they need to watch each other's back. A fireman needs to be aware. They need to respect the fire that they are fighting and they need to understand the dangers of the situation in which they are rushing. I think we understand that, do we not? We understand the dangers of fire. We understand that they are rushing into a dangerous situation. They need that equipment. And yet so often... Though we understand that physical illustration, we overlook the spiritual protection, the spiritual armor that we have been given in Jesus Christ. Christian, just like a fireman, you need to be aware of the situation in which you find yourself. You need to take serious the enemy with whom you are engaged. Just as a fireman fights fire effectively by taking it seriously, by protecting themselves through every piece of equipment that is available to them, so too you and I have been equipped in Christ to face the enemies that stand against us. And we must stand. So this week, Paul encourages us to stand strong in the full armor provided to us by God. The Lord has given you all that you need. So brothers and sisters, stand fast. In Ephesians 6, 14-20, we will see the call to stand and the call to pray. The call to stand and the call to pray. First thing we see in verses 14-17 to is the call to stand. You must stand. In fact, this passage flows directly out of what we just saw last week in Ephesians 6, 10-13. Stand therefore, verse 14 begins. It's building on what we've seen back in verse 11 of chapter 6. Stand, put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. Even down into verse 13, therefore take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand. And so therefore, verse 14, stand. Do you think Paul is trying to communicate something here? Four times in four verses, stand, withstand, stand, stand. Don't give any ground. Stand, therefore, that therefore is pointing back to what Paul has just unfolded for us in verses 10 to 13, that yes, you face a great enemy, but you have a greater God, a greater hope, a greater strength. You have this armor. So therefore, having this armor, by the grace of God, being equipped for victory, stand. 
It's here in verses 14 to 17 that Paul really kind of digs down into this and clarifies what exactly do I mean by the armor of God? What is this armor? And he starts out, having girded your waist with truth. The idea girded, it's not a word that we often use, but the idea there is simply the idea of putting on a belt, something specifically for activity to hold your pants up so you can get to work. I think you really understand this if you've ever forgotten to put your belt on in the morning. And you go to work or wherever, and, and your pants, even if they fit you, they just, it seems to not stay up, right? You've got to keep adjusting and holding. It's, it's something that your mind is on, whereas normally when you have a belt, you don't even have to think about it. It's just, it's there, it's held together, it's held on. Gird your waist. What is it that we're supposed to gird our waist with? This belt, what is it? It is the belt of truth. In fact, one of the things that you will see as you work your way through this passage is that every piece of armor comes back to what is true. Every single piece of armor comes back to what is true. That's why the truth is the belt. It is the thing that holds everything else together. Specifically, as we'll see here, the truth of the gospel in Jesus Christ. The truth of the gospel. Of Jesus' birth, death, resurrection, ascension. Every single piece of this armor comes back to that reality, the gospel itself. So what does it look like to have my waist girded with truth? Well, number one, it looks like knowing the truth, right? To have your waist girded with truth, you must know the truth. You can't cling to a promise you don't know. You can't be motivated by hope you don't have. You have this truth. It is yours in Christ. If you've placed your faith in Jesus Christ, the gospel... Those truths are yours, but the question is, do you know them? In fact, that's what we're going to see as we work through the rest of this passage, as I mentioned. Every single piece of armor comes back to this idea. It is all tied to the truth. Going right to the second thing, it's exactly what we see, this breastplate of righteousness, having put on the breastplate of righteousness. Understanding that it is true that you have been declared righteous in Christ. Every accusation that the devil brings to you just bounces off because you know that I have been been declared righteous in Christ. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Putting on that breastplate is not just knowing the reality of the, having the reality, but knowing the reality of that. And that that truth has impact. God's positional declaration about you 
that you are righteous has practical implications for you. Being declared righteous, you must grow in righteousness. Another word we use for that is the idea of sanctification. We're looking back even to Ephesians 2, the good works to which you have been saved. The practical implications of the righteousness that is yours in Christ serves as a defense against the devil. There is evidence of this righteousness in my life. There is evidence that this is true. God's work in me is not merely theoretical. I see proof. I see evidence. I see growth. I know that I have been declared righteous. Cling to that truth, brothers and sisters in Christ. But if you cling to that truth, but there's no evidence of it practically in your life, is that not a door for the devil to attack? Calling everything that you claim into question? Commentators go back and forth. Is this my positional righteousness in Christ? Is this his righteousness in me? Or is this my righteous works now that I've been saved? And I would say I think it's both. It is who you are in Christ. You've been declared righteous. And at the same time, it is the evidence of that in your life that serves to back up those claims. And again, that ties back to the truth of the gospel in Jesus Christ. and That's where that righteousness comes to. It's not mine because of something I've done. It's not mine because of my merit. It's not mine because I deserve it. It's mine because of who I am in Christ. Going back to this belt of truth that I know that holds everything together. Not just the breastplate of righteousness, but even verse 15, having your feet, having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace. Shod, to to put shoes on, to tie tightly. Having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace. Interestingly, this is not the first time in Scripture where the gospel of peace, the proclamation of that gospel, is tied to the idea of feet. It really goes back to to Isaiah 52.7, quoted even in Romans 10.15. But we'll turn to Isaiah 52. How beautiful upon the mountains are the feet of him who brings good news, who proclaims peace, who brings glad tidings of good things, who proclaims salvation, who says to Zion, your God reigns. 
How beautiful are the feet. Romans 10, again, ties this to the proclamation of the gospel. How will they hear without someone to tell them? How beautiful are the feet that proclaim this good news. So now as we turn our attention back here to Ephesians 6, we see again this this gospel, the proclamation of the gospel tied to feet, the idea of going. In fact, not just going, but here a preparation, a readiness to go. 1 Peter 3.15, always being ready to give uh, defense, to answer questions as they come up. The idea here is that of a battle stance. If you've ever seen that game where two people stand and you've got to have your feet together and you're trying to knock each other off balance, right? It's, if you're not standing in a ready stance, it's easy to get knocked off balance. And in battle, that could be deadly. Brothers and sisters, we must understand that we are at war and we must understand and we must stand ready, prepared to take action. Many commentators noted that that some Roman soldiers would even take nails and put them in the bottom of their feet to help uh, the shoes to help give them some grip. Almost like a cleat, the idea of there. There is readiness here. What does readiness look like? I don't think it's just a willingness to preach this good news, to tell of this good news. But it gets even to a a skill, an understanding of the gospel. If you've ever tried to teach children's church, you will quickly come to understand the things that you don't really understand. To teach something, you first must have it mastered. A readiness to go implies a maturity of understanding. An ability to speak this gospel of peace. If I were to stop the service right now and I'd say, all right, I want you to turn to your neighbor... And I want you to share the gospel with them. Could you do that? Would you be confident in doing that? What passages would you go to? Are your feet shod with the preparation of the gospel? Are you standing battle ready? And if you can't teach those truths to others, do you really understand them yourselves? Can you use them in defense yourself? Know the gospel. Know the hope to which you cling. Preparation of the gospel of peace. It's almost an oxymoron that it's the gospel of peace, but the whole passage is the context of war. But it's a gospel that brings peace with God and peace with men. Ephesians 2, brought from death to life. You were dead in your trespasses, but God has done this. 
It's a gospel that brings men and women together, Jew and Gentile together. The end of Ephesians 2. 2 Corinthians 5.18-21, the whole idea that we are ambassadors and our message is that God has reconciled. He has brought peace. It is available. When Jesus was born, what is it that the angels proclaimed? Peace on earth. One of his titles is the Prince of Peace. This gospel of peace, this is glorious news that holy God, by His grace and power alone, has made peace for sinful man. By grace alone. Are your feet shod with the preparation of that gospel? The willingness, the ability, the boldness to proclaim that gospel and to apply that gospel. Again, that ties back to the belt. All of this is tied together with the truth. Do you know the truth, who Jesus Christ is and the gospel that is in him? But Paul goes on, not just the belt of truth, not just the breastplate of righteousness, not just shoes of, of the God, preparation of the gospel of peace, but 16, above all, in all these things, take the shield of faith with which you'll be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked one. The shield of faith. The idea here is not saving faith but rather daily faith. To stand fast in the promises of God, to know those promises and apply them. To believe, really, to believe the truth. Do you merely claim the gospel or do you really believe the gospel? Do you know those promises that are yours in Christ? Promises that even many of them, on Wednesday, we sat here for a couple minutes and just rehearsed several of them to one another. The shield of faith. And I think one of the things that stands out here is the time that Paul pauses here in verse 16. Several of these others he just kind of mentions and moves on, but he pauses here. Showing the importance of faith, the shield of faith. Do you believe what God has said? It is with this shield of faith that you will be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked one. Quench to be able to extinguish the fiery darts of the wicked one. The devil is a liar, he has been from the beginning. And how do you defeat a lie? With the truth, do you not? You defeat a lie by believing the truth. Satan hurls lies and accusations at us, and a lack of faith will allow those lies to linger and that fire to spread.
that will allow those questions to grow. But faith puts them out immediately and clings to what it knows is true. As the devil hurls accusations, the man or woman who is wielding the shield of faith can stand up and say, yes, I know that I am a rotten sinner, but I also know the glorious grace and mercy of my God that He has forgiven me, that there is no condemnation for me, that there is nothing on heaven or earth, even you, devil, that can separate me from the love of Jesus Christ. Faith puts those doubts, those lies, those accusations, it puts them out immediately. There's no sticking. The devil throws at you. It doesn't even stick. It just it slides right off. Like something that's waterproof, waterproof pants. When you first put on a pair of waterproof pants or something and you spill a little water, it's just amazing to watch it just roll right off. He can't do anything. Because I know that he is defeated. I know who, what my God has done for me in Christ. I know who I am. I know the strength of my hope. The surety of it. Faith quenches all his lies. It extinguishes them. It doesn't allow them to linger or to grow or to cause doubt. And again, this faith is tied to the truth. Knowing the truth and believing the truth and applying the truth. And take the helmet of salvation. Really a, a settled truth here. You are saved and you cannot lose that salvation. Is there any greater truth to cling to? And when the devil approaches you and when lies or fears or accusations creep up just to know I am saved. I stand fast, secure in Christ. I know from John 6 and John 10 that I am in the hand of my Father. I am in Jesus' hand and no one can snatch me out. I know that there is nothing on heaven or earth that can separate me from the love of Jesus Christ. I am secure. I am saved. Such a precious truth to guard such a vital part of the body. Helmet of salvation. And the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. The sword of the Spirit, the Word of God, both offensive and defensive. I think we know many of the verses that, that use that, that, that tell us the Word of God. Second Peter 1, 16 to 21. An amazing passage where Peter looks back to the transfiguration. I was there. I saw what happened on that mountain. And yet, what does he go on to say in that passage? Right here in this Bible, you have a more sure word than what I even saw. 
2 Timothy 3, 16 to 17, all scripture is given by inspiration of God for the perfecting of the saints. Hebrews 4.12, the word of God is, is sharp, it is quick, it is active. It's really a, a wielding of the truth. And really, when you think about it, the more skillfully you wield your sword, which is the word of God, the more effective the rest of your armor will be. If all of this armor is built on the truth and my sword is the word of God through which God has communicated the truth to me, then as I wield that, my armor is going to fit better. I'm going to know more and understand and grow in righteousness. I'm going to better understand the gospel. I'm going to be able to stand with the shield of faith more boldly. To stand fast with the helmet of salvation. The sword of spirit, which is the word of God. Spirit working through the word. Brothers and sisters, all of this is yours in Christ. And all of this is important. Do you know these things? Do you cling to these things? In fact, Warren Wearsby sums it up this way. In a sense... The whole armor of God is a picture of Jesus Christ himself. Jesus is the truth, John 14, 6 tells us. He's our righteousness, 2 Corinthians 5, 21. He's our peace, Ephesians 2, 14. It is his faithfulness that makes possible our faith, Galatians 2, 20. He is our salvation, Luke 2, 30. And he is the word of God, John 1, 1 and 14. When you trusted Christ, you put on the armor. This is not something you have to go home and figure out, okay, I have these things, how do I put them on? Brothers and sisters, this is already yours in Christ. It is on. The question is, are you standing fast and using it? To put on the armor of God is to stand confidently in Christ. It is to put on the new man, to put on Christ, even as is said elsewhere. Stand fast in these realities. Know the truth. Wield the truth. Secondly, and perhaps somewhat shockingly, you must pray. I don't know about you, but, but reading this, this, I've read this passage a ton throughout my life, but studying it this week, it just it struck me. I don't really expect prayer to follow this. I expect some military term like, you know, now charge! But being fully equipped, we are called to prayer. In fact, is that not what we often find in Scripture? In Matthew, as Jesus is talking to his disciples and he, he, he looks out, the, the fields are ripe to harvest. And, and what does he say? He doesn't say go. He says, pray ye therefore. Here, you are fully equipped. Stand fast. Pray. Why is it that we so undervalue prayer? 
we need to pray. Prayer must not be an afterthought. To fail to pray is to fail to be prepared. It is to fail to stand, even as we see in this passage. There's several things he says about prayer here. Praying always. Or as 1 Thessalonians 5.17 says, praying without ceasing. It is a constant attitude of humble dependence, constant communication. Praying always. It doesn't mean that everywhere you're going, every little conversation in the back of your mind, you have a constant, dear Lord, just a constant prayer that's going. But it's an attitude of prayer, a, a, a an open line of communication, a humble dependence on God in everything that you do. I kind of think of it as my relationship with my wife. I am just, I I am in constant communication with Krista throughout the day. That doesn't mean that we are just constantly talking. But we're in constant communication. I know where she is. I know where she's going. She knows where I am. She knows what I'm doing. We know what's going on. We are talking, we are coordinating, we are in constant communication. That is the idea here. Praying always, constant communication, an attitude of humble dependence, always willing to follow, always talking to your Father. What, what next, Lord? And not just praying always, but praying all you, always with all prayer. With all prayer and supplication in the Spirit. Does your prayer life consist of different prayers? Or do you just have one prayer? I thank you for this food. Have you ever stood up somewhere to pray and you accidentally start that? Thank you for this food. Uh, <laughs> but not even just words that you repeat, but even just every time you pray, are you asking God for something? Is prayer just about your needs, and there's a time for that. There's a time for prayer of supplication. But there's also a time for a prayer of praise. There's also times for prayer of repentance. In fact, I'd encourage you, do, do a study of prayer in Scripture. Do you know these different kinds of prayers? Are you using them? Praying always with all prayer and supplication. Praying in the Spirit. This is not some odd kind of prayer in a language that no one understands. This is normal prayer, but it's prayer that is guided by the Spirit and humble submission to Him. Even as Romans 8, 26-27 tells us, it is a prayer that understands that I don't even always know what is best for me, but what I do know is that God does. And that the Spirit prays those things that even I don't know how to pray. This is a humility in prayer. Lord, I need strength in this situation. I don't know what that looks like. I know that you do. And I know that you will give it to me. Guide me, Lord. Give me wisdom. It's a humility in prayer. A prayer that is according to God's will, based on God's will and not my will. Really, likely, these are, it's a scripture-rich prayer. 
clinging to these promises, these things that God has given us constantly, returning to them, reminding ourselves of them, and repeating them in prayer to the Lord. So praying always, praying with all prayer, praying in the Spirit, praying watchful with our eyes open, being watchful to this end with all perseverance and supplication. To this end, really the idea of this whole passage, the end of standing fast, praying with the understanding that I am fighting a great enemy, but I have a great God. Praying, understanding that I have been fully equipped with the truth. Praying by applying that truth. Being watchful, aware of what is going on around me. And praying to the end that I would stand fast. Persevering in prayer and supplication. Not growing weary, but, but keeping, pushing forward. And note this for all the saints. Key to your equipping in Christ is community. Don't just pray. Don't just pray. Pray for one another. In fact, is that not a truth that we saw as we marched our way through Hebrews? Then these warning passages all throughout Hebrews, several times it mentions the importance of watching out not just for yourself, but for one another. We are all engaged in this war. So pray not just that you would stand, but pray for all the saints that we would all stand fast in the truth in Christ. We need each other. We need to be praying for each other. Making supplication for each other. In fact, Paul gives example of that at the very end here. In verses 19 and 20. Praying for all the saints. And and he kind of ends here saying, and pray for me specifically. This is how I need you to pray for me. That utterance may be given to me that I may open my mouth boldly to make known the mystery of the gospel. That's really applying this whole passage. Paul does our application for us right here. What does it look like to pray these things? This is what it looks like. Pray that I would have, would shod my feet with the preparation of the gospel. Pray for me to apply these truths. Pray for me to go knowing this and preaching this. That I may open my mouth boldly. You might think, well, Paul, that comes easy to you. I guarantee you it didn't. And yet he says, pray. Pray that I would open my mouth boldly that I would be able to make known the mystery of the gospel, that my feet would be shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. Because I understand that I am ambassador in chains. Not just am I an ambassador, I'm an ambassador in chains. Paul's not here complaining. Rather, he's recognizing the sovereign hand of God that has him where he wants him. And what Paul is saying is that even here in chains... Even here, this doesn't change anything. 
I am fully equipped in Christ. I am called to make disciples. If I am in chains, it's because Jesus Christ wants me in chains. He has me right where he wants me. It's because there's someone here that he wants me to share the gospel with. What if we all had that mindset? I hate my job. But if I'm here, it's because the Lord wants me here. It's because there is someone at this company that I need to share the gospel with. Paul understands that. I am an ambassador in chains. So pray that I may speak boldly as I ought to. I know I need to do this. There's nothing more convicting than preaching a passage covering something that you know you struggle with. A few weeks ago, going through those passages on husbands, love your wives, and you know, I'm, I'm preaching, and, and uh, preach boldly from the Word of God because it's not my ideas, it's God's idea. And yet at the same time, I'm preaching it to myself, right? It's hard to preach that when your wife is sitting out there in the congregation and she knows your weaknesses. Talk about convicting. Kind of get that sense here with Paul, right? He's, he's writing this. Do this, guys. At the same time, he's writing. And I know I ought to be doing this too. There's conviction in holding each other accountable. So stand fast and pray always. A couple of points of application. Number one, as I mentioned earlier, all of these pieces of the armor of God that we have in Christ All of this is tied to the truth. It is different applications of the truth. Different applications of the gospel itself. So the first point of application is, number one, know your Bible. Your enemy is great. Your God is greater. And it is true. You do not wrestle against flesh and blood. But it is also true that you do not wrestle ill-equipped. The Lord has given you all that you need in the gospel. Your enemy is defeated. And you have been equipped to stand fast in Christ. To parry away his lies and accusations. So brothers and sisters, stand. Know the truth. Not only stand, but advance. But the gospel of peace, a readiness, a willingness to share. Knowing that even as Jesus himself said, the gates of hell will not prevail against the church and her gospel. So Christian, know the truth. Do you know the truth? Well, growing up in church, if, if you grew up in church, you probably know bits and pieces, you know stories. Are you able to apply that, though? It's not just about what you know. It's, it's a willingness, an ableness to apply that. Know the truth. Stand in the truth. Advance the truth. Rejoice in the truth. Ask yourself, what am I doing to know the truth better? To be better equipped? I have these things. 
But what am I doing to wield them effectively? What am I doing doing to, to grow in my knowledge and application of Scripture? How faithful are you in devotions? How active are you in church? Maybe already this year you failed in your Bible reading. Jump back in. Don't give up. You need the Word. You need to be attached to it. You need to live in it. You need to know it so that you can apply it, wield it. So number one, know your Bible. Number two, pray. How's your prayer life? It's one of the... the really stinging parts of this chapter is it's, it's not just that standing fast is, is knowing your Bible. It's praying, too. It's a humble dependence. Why is it that the least attended service of the church is often the prayer service? The service on Wednesdays that is most dedicated and devoted to prayer, where we take... 20 to 30 minutes and focus on prayer. That's not even a long time. Brothers and sisters, we must pray. If we are to stand fast, if we are to advance, if we are to grow, we must pray. If we fail to pray, we're simply setting ourselves up for failure. Know your Bible. Pray always. And then even like Paul here at the end, as you pray, as you pray for one another, be active in evangelism. Look where the Lord has put you. And how can you stand fast and apply the truth where the Lord has placed you? Whether you are an ambassador in chains, or whether you are an ambassador at Hy-Vee, or an ambassador in construction, or an ambassador in school, wherever you are an ambassador, do it well by having your feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace, your waist girded with the truth, the breastplate of righteousness, by knowing how to use the shield of faith, by clinging to the helmet of salvation and wielding the sword of the Spirit, the Word of God. Stand fast.